Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Preferred Walk-Ons Podcast. This is Michael McGraw. I'm here with Michael Shutt. Happy New Year, everybody. Our first show of 2024. And just wanted to send a quick shout out to everybody who came to Devil's Backbone and our live show. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, I had a blast. Uh, Very excited to do that again. We are actually on the calendar to do it on February 3rd for the UVA Clemson game. I believe that's a two o'clock game. So slightly different time frame, but um, we had such a good time and everybody who came out seemed to have such a good time. We decided let's do it again. Uh, so we'll be there again, and and maybe this time we'll be able to have some guests. We're going to work on that and see what we can put together for people. Yeah, it was a great opportunity to meet a lot of people from the Sabre and have Chris wander around and chat with them. Uh, had some listeners to the show as well who I got to speak with, which was a very cool experience. Got some questions from the audience. Everything was great except the game itself which was a little bit of a disaster for UVA playing at Notre Dame. But you know what? Still a good day overall to interact with the people. I enjoyed it. That's right. I had a really good time. And, and you know, honestly, like, given what we know now, I mean, since that game, right, Notre Dame took NC State to the wire, took Duke to the wire pretty much. Like, they've, they've looked good recently. So I feel like, look, it wasn't a good loss by any means for UVA. But it wasn't as though, like, Notre Dame did that and then immediately went back to just being the laughing stock of the ACC. They've been really competitive this last week or two. Yeah, like I said there, there's no shame in losing to the best. (laughs) We can all agree Notre Dame is the class of the ACC and always has been. Yeah, I mean, like I said, they have been competitive. To be clear, they're still sitting at one and three in the conference, uh, only above Louisville. So still not the best, I, I wouldn't say. We're going to talk about uh, UVA and the context of the ACC and some of UVA's struggles a little bit later in the show, but I thought we would start first with the national championship played last night between Washington and Michigan. Michigan, Big Blue, your national champions after a, I guess you could call it a dominant win. I mean, the game was still in doubt late, but it was at the end kind of a runaway michigan just absolutely ran over washington it's been one of washington's problems all year that they have struggled to defend the run and they absolutely did that against michigan who racked up 303 rushing yards compared to washington's 46 michael Penix has been great for washington all year he's been the reason that they were in this game to begin with but i think it is also fair to say that he missed some people and definitely felt the pressure from Michigan, particularly in the second half. Kind of a bummer. I know you were, uh, we were watching the game together. We were both rooting for Washington, but congrats to Michigan, a deserving champion. Yeah, I mean, like, there's no doubt that obviously Michigan has had its share of controversy this year, and there's some questionable things there. But as far as play on the field, right, a lot of people had questions because Michigan hadn't played a lot of really good teams. But we've talked about it on this show throughout the season. Like, even though their schedule was a little weaker, they dominated pretty much everybody that they saw. And that's all you can really do. I actually saw a tweet from somebody back in like 2020 that was looking ahead schedule wise and identified 2020 this season as like, well, look, this is Michigan's chance. It's going to be that year because they have a weak schedule. And they did. Like, just in terms of the way that the Big Ten schedule fell, in terms of the way they scheduled out a conference. You know, it just looked like a good opportunity for them, and they took advantage, so kudos there. We could join 
the rest of the sports media world and providing exhausting takes about the cheating scandal and all that stuff. But I'd rather focus on what the players did on the field, right? They're not the ones who did that. I, I think that that's, uh, you know, we've talked about that before as well, but they just played really, really well. And yeah, I mean, Michael Penix missed uh, some open receivers through the game, but it's also hard to find those receivers when you have, when you can't even complete a three-step drop without having defenders in your face. So, you know, they really blew up the offensive line and you could see it in the trenches. And that's where this game was won, was in the trenches, especially in the first and fourth quarters. You know, second and third quarters, Washington was right there and actually won the second quarter. And like you said, it was close up until Michigan kind of blew it open in the fourth. Yeah, I like you said, I mean, Michigan has lived all year by mauling teams with their offensive line, being able to effectively run the ball. They did that here. Their defense has been great all year. They've had the best stop rate pretty much all season. Coming into this game, they had only given up 23 red zone trips in the entire year and had only given up 10 touchdowns on that. They managed to not turn the ball over all season. I think they only had five turnovers the entire year, and four of them were against Bowling Green. So that is just like great at protecting the ball. They did that. They mauled Washington at the line of scrimmage. Even though I knew that Washington's defense struggles against the run, I was still surprised, even with them kind of stacking the box, the running lanes that Michigan was able to open up. Like that was just, that that was the most surprising thing for me. I had kind of thought that Washington would sell out against the run, then maybe uh, J.J. McCarthy would have a bigger game in the air. And he didn't even need to do that. Like he was completely a secondary part of this. He did have a big scramble deep in their own territory, which ended up being a big play in the second half. But he really didn't have to do a whole lot. He just kind of managed the game, and that was enough. I felt like Washington's run defense got better over the course of the game, for sure, You know, outside of that late scramble that you mentioned. I guess in the fourth quarter especially, it was more Michigan sort of chipping away at them rather than in the first quarter you saw Donovan Edwards rip off two 40-plus yard touchdown runs. When that game opened up that way, it, it looked like we were en route to a blowout. And it, it did end up not being a close game at the end, right? But again, that took till the fourth quarter. And and it, look, when you're evaluating Michigan, I mean, undefeated season, like you said, took care of the ball throughout the season, just played clean football. And you look at their semifinal game against Alabama, where they ran the ball okay, right? 130 yards as a team. But J.J. McCarthy really had to make some plays in the air in that game. And so looking at their college football playoff performance as a whole, it's just impressive how complete of a team they they looked to be. And so this isn't one of those that I walk away sometimes after the playoff or after a, a national championship game going back, especially going back to the BCS years. You'd kind of look at it and say, like, uh, do I feel like the best team is the champion? And this time I really do. I mean, is there a part of me? that would love to see Michigan Georgia sure like I wish there was a way we could have seen that but it just you know Georgia was unable to beat Alabama and Michigan was able to beat Alabama and so we can't play infinite games here to see every possible iteration and so I really feel confident that we have the best team here as as champion after this college football playoff yeah I do too I mean Michigan was dominant all season they didn't luck into it as exciting as Washington is, they've played so many close one-score games and have survived all of them. And there was a part of me coming into this that just thought, okay, maybe their luck is going to run out or just regress to the mean. And it, it did, you know, I think they just ran into a better team, ultimately. I, 
you mm-hmm. should give credit to Washington for being able to win all those games and make the plays to win, have their offense be as good as it was all season. But yeah, Michigan's a deserving champion. I look forward to a 12-team playoff where there are more of these kind of games that you don't always get to see. And I think it will be great next year. But I think we got one of the best playoffs, honestly, that we could conceivably get. Now, I mean, like Florida State, I still feel bad for them. And, you know, the game against Georgia, I don't really think you can read anything into that with 20 normal players on their team opting out. But at the same time, like, I think Michigan is absolutely the best team. So congrats to them. I hope they enjoy it in Ann Arbor and look forward to seeing news in the next 48 hours that Jim Harbaugh is going to be coaching the Chargers or the Bears or something like that. Get out of there as fast as possible, buddy. That is the thing that I think is interesting about this particular matchup is I don't anticipate either of these two teams being anywhere near the national championship next year. You know, Washington's going to lose a ton of talent. And I think most people agree that they won't be anywhere near. I'm seeing a lot of prognosticators who believe that Michigan will still be among the better teams in the country next year. But I think that outlook will change once. And I do think it's almost a foregone conclusion that Harbaugh jumps to the NFL, whether it's New England or the Chargers or whoever, some mystery third team. You know, I think that he's probably gone, right? McCarthy's gone. Blake Corum gone. Like, you know, they're going to lose a lot of talent as well. So it's kind of, I don't know, that almost feels more enjoyable to me as a fan that doesn't really care. I'm not super invested in either of these teams. I mean, I latched onto Washington this year, but that's not a long-term thing. And I don't know. I prefer that over where we'd have these years where it was like, okay, can't wait to see Alabama and Clemson play or Ohio State. You know, these same teams always. I like a little parody. So this is to see a team win their first championship since what, 19, 1997, I think it was. You know, that that part's fun. And then knowing that next year with a 12-team playoff with, you know, a vastly different conference landscape, I, I just think we're we're in line for a, for a fun ride. And, you know, as someone who has some reason to be optimistic about my team, I think it's cool to think that there's an expanded field there and it's not as laughable to, to feel like my team has a shot to be in that conversation as it has been in the past. I'm, I'm glad you brought this up because I have been just eye rolling so hard. I know literally like within like this confetti has not fallen on the field yet and they're already coming out with like way too early 2024, 2025, who's going to be good. And it's like, especially with the portal and all this other stuff, it is incomprehensible to even think about right now because there's still going to be so much movement that you literally have no idea who's going to be at these schools. So that kind of stuff is ridiculous. I do agree, you know, it will be exciting to see some other teams, you know, have an opportunity to make the 12 team playoff. I think at the end, I mean, if I'm a betting man and I am, I'm still going to say that probably Georgia and Alabama and Oregon are, you know, Ohio State are probably like the teams that are going to be at the top of the list next year. It's not like there's going to be some shocking turn of events. But, you know, we've had Washington, we've had TCU, Texas has been playing really well. Maybe, maybe some kind of mid, you know, NC State, maybe they crack in based on all the transfers they're getting in. But it just seems like uh, way too early for that kind of stuff. Calm down, everybody. Oh, absolutely. I, you know, I that's that's kind of my thing is like I'm enjoying the optimism around NC State's program, you know, and I like the the ability to look ahead and say like, hey, it'd be cool to imagine us getting a shot at this thing. And I think 
the beauty of a 12-team playoff is you're right. The teams at the top are going to be the same, right? I mean, it's not going to look much different in terms of Georgia and Ohio State. The teams you mentioned, Alabama, they're all going to be up there. What's fun is currently with a 14 playoff, like you could be a team, and let's say it's Georgia this year, right? They're on the outside of it, but then they have a 60-point win in their bowl, and they're like, well, it would have been cool to have a shot at this thing. Like, we played really well, and now those teams are going to have a shot. Or maybe you're Tulane from not this past year, but the year before when they beat USC in the Cotton Bowl, or those teams that never would get a shot, but like to be able to say UCF from a few years back when they declared themselves national champions. Now those teams will have a shot at this, and I think that's fun. And and look, maybe it turns out that Alabama still wins this thing next year, or you know, again, whoever it is uh, in those that class of college football blue bloods, but. It's cool that people are going to have a shot. I love the optimism, but I do agree. I think it's stupid to be looking at putting out top 25s, putting out things where you're ranking teams or comparing teams now to other teams for next year is kind of crazy. I mean, so much movement, like you said, still could happen. I mean, just within the NC State stuff, like Jordan Waters, the running back from Duke, who's committed to transfer to NC State, just last week, there were reports that he... and. They turned out not to be true, but there were reports that he was going to visit Texas A&M and, and potentially reunite with Mike Elko down in, in College Station. It's like, so even when you have transfers that have committed to you in air quotes, things could still change. <laughs> Coaches can change. You know, we saw a couple of programs, North Carolina and LSU, fire, you know, defensive coordinators in the last week or so after the transfer portal. Isn't that a terrible look? Like multiple schools oh, did that. Like I, I have a real problem with that. Yeah, I think it's a pretty shitbag thing to do. Assign your recruiting class, these guys who are committing to a coordinator, and then say, oh, actually, he's not going to be here. And and I'm I'm not saying that Carolina firing uh, Gene Chizik was a bad I, like move, but your bowl game had happened like two weeks prior. You, you <laughs> It's not like you needed that time to think that over. Yeah. Hmm. Well, you don't normally see that kind of lawlessness from North Carolina, but, you know... <laughs> Every program has its flaws. That's right. Uh, That's right. One, one last thing for the national championship. Maybe this is just on us for believing a completely unfounded rumor that appears to have been started on the internet. But where's my NCAA 24 EA Sports update? Where was that? Now, if you go back through, it appears that EA Sports never said anything like, yes, we're going to do that. It, they sure. just kind of glommed on to some internet rumors that were started about that. but. I was really looking forward to that. I was looking forward to that more than the actual game. And uh, no update. Bad luck, EA. Super disappointing. And like you said, I think it was just a rumor that got legs and we got excited because we're degenerates who are going to shut down our lives when that comes out. But yeah, real bummer to not get any sort of, of update on that. And it's just... I've been burned before. so So it's this feeling of like when you don't get an update still don't have a release date there's a part of me that's thinking like we're days away from an announcement of you know we're really sorry to say but yeah so i'm hoping we'll get something soon hopefully enough people are going to be bummed out about this rumor not being true that maybe ea sees that and is like okay here here's something i'd love a trailer i'd love some like some video oh i would lose my mind Mm -hmm. yeah i was prepared for that last night and didn't happen oh well Anyway, that is a wrap of the college football season. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you loved it enough. Hope you hugged it while you could. 
because it's gone. It's going to be a very long off season. But fortunately, we still have basketball to talk about. Unfortunately, many of the listeners of this show have a little bit of an existential crisis right now because UVA is not playing particularly well. They have lost three out of their last five games, three road losses by double digits, including most recently NC State this past weekend. Of course, your team played really well. DJ Burns made some great moves, made some great passes. NC State struggled in the first half. Like I was feeling really, really good about the game for the first 10 minutes or so. I thought the defense for UVA was very engaged. Then y'all hit that crazy late shot clock half court thing. And it's just like open the buckets. And I feel like UVA, that's not a knock on NC State. Like it's good to be able to be sparked by things. As a UVA fan, it was disappointing to not see a resilience of that. Like I think the more experienced UVA teams of the past would have been like, that was weird. We're going to go win now. And instead UVA was like, let it impact their offense and defensive execution for the rest of the half and let the game get away from them. Mm -hmm. I do think that that, you know, can serve as a, as a moment in time that sort of potentially sparks some things. But I also think there were some things that just kind of became almost like a, I don't know, the phrase battle of attrition comes to mind and not in the sense that people were getting hurt or or things like that, but it just was stuff that wore down over time um, in that game against UVA. And, you know, it's interesting. I think we look at that game and people are like, man, you know, DJ Burns like really impacted the game and he certainly did. Right. But in the box score, (laughs) six points, four assists, it doesn't not one of his more impressive games, statistically speak, but his immense gravity. Right. And just like look he's a big guy so funny there but just in terms of game plan i think to understand this game you really got to go back to last year's game at jpj where uva was able to effectively double team dj burns and clog up passing lanes on the backside and nc state didn't really seem to have a great plan for that you and i both we were at that game we were watching and i think pretty baffled by state's lack of a plan for it um, and an ability to execute against that. I mean, credit to UVA. They did a great job of it then. So this year, and, and there's another game coming up very soon. We rematches is, is not far off, but they go into Raleigh and, you know, early on, I saw them, you know, trying to replicate that success and, and some double teams on the block. Now, I thought some of those double teams were occurring a little too far out. Um, which allows DJ Burns, who is a good passer and has developed as a passer, to see a little bit more of the floor, right? Because he's not on the block. So mistake there. But I also want to give credit to Kevin Keats, not only for scheme, but for program building and recruiting the talents to put around DJ Burns, understanding that there's got to be some shooters, some capable outside scorers, but then scheming to put them in the right place. There were several cases where... I know we talked about one specifically, I think, late game, but there were several situations where they intentionally had DJ Horn, who's a 44% three-point shooter, on the diagonal on the opposite wing from DJ Burns so that when he got doubled, that's the first place he's going to look. And you got your best shooter over there. And and look, I know that I've been... I'm not... like I think Tony Bennett's a fantastic coach. I really do. But I think he, I think he got out coached that day. I think that the adjustments weren't there in terms of... He's got he's having guys rotate way too far away from the best shooter on the floor. Uh, and DJ Burns is too good of a passer for that. And then, you know, they tried to 
when they got burnt a few times, they went one-on-one and tried to trust Blake Buchanan to guard DJ Burns. And I'm, I'm sorry, but this just not happening. So some guys stepped up. You know, I think it's it's interesting. There's a lot of conversation. I don't think he ever said anything specifically about it. But Dennis Parker Jr., freshman from Richmond, four-star recruit. I mean, he had a great game. And there's a lot of speculation out there that he was particularly fired up. UVA never offered him. I'm not sure how good of a fit he would be. But, like, he's an athletic guard who can shoot the ball. And it's crazy to me that you've got a four-star right there who provides you with things that you don't have. And also, like, he is a good defender. And I, I don't know. Like, there, I just saw some – and some of it was from some UVA fans on Twitter who were like, well, we wouldn't have wanted him. He doesn't fit our system. And it's like, maybe that's the problem. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that is the primary – thing i think that's a bad take for uva fans to anybody to say something like that although i will say there are plenty of bad uva takes to go around some of which i'll I'll get to in a second here but (laughs) a couple things one you brought up just the attrition part of this i think that's definitely the case right now uva does not have a particularly deep bench and i've seen a lot of people who are frustrated at the lack of playing time for people like uh, eli gertrude Leon Bond, Jordan Minor, even though I think a lot of people seem to agree that Minor is kind of not ready for full-time ACC play, given what he's done. But, you know, some of these younger guys, I mean, listen, like Leon Bond only got four minutes, but 0 for 3 in the time he was in the game. Gertrude is not a particularly good shooter at all. Like, he's very explosive, does have a tendency to turn the ball over. So in a game that's on the road, like it makes sense to me that you would play more experienced players, players that maybe you trust a little bit better, particularly on deep on the defensive side of the ball. I get why fans are frustrated, but also like, you know, Tony was throwing some stuff against the wall against Notre Dame and that didn't work either. So I think he has a pretty good sense of who is ready for specific matchups. But yeah, that NC State's bench completely outplayed UVA during the game. I mean, McNeely, Dunn and Beekman had 46 points on 58% shooting, which is exactly what you would want those three to be able to have in the game. The rest of the team was six for 24 shooting, which is 25% and only 14 points. So, I mean, I think that's the main thing that where I'm at with UVA is they just don't have enough. They don't have enough shooting. They don't have enough people who can stretch the floor without Dante Harris in the game. They don't have enough people who can just go downhill and get a bucket. Like Reese is really the only one who you can trust to do that right now. And hopefully Dante Harris comes back soon. He's, by all accounts, one of the best on-ball defenders in the ACC. And we haven't gotten a real chance to see that yet because he's been injured with this ankle injury for so long. But they, they just don't have enough. They don't have enough on the roster right now. And you can be frustrated about it if you're a UVA fan. Some of it is out of our control. Some of it is transfer portal related and just a part of the game. I get why somebody like you know, you look at Jake Groves and say, hey, he's not Caden Shedrick. Well, Caden Shedrick wanted to leave. So you didn't have a choice. You had to fill in with somebody. It's fair to criticize the roster construction of this year's team. I think it's clear that UVA fans were too optimistic in the preseason that people like Rhodey, that Minor, uh, any of those people, some of the young players on the team would just show up and instantly be great. But at the same time, like realistically, this is a team that lost 80% of its offensive production, 80% coming into the season. It was going to be difficult to score. And 
it was going to be another team that relied heavily on their defense. And there were a lot of defensive breakdowns. When they play good, connected defense, you see a result like a Texas A&M win. When they don't, you see a result like this, where they have trouble scoring and they give up a lot of three-pointers. I will do a little bit of some devil's advocate stuff here. I think there's a, some stuff that is... The truth is probably somewhere in the middle, right? Of being optimistic and thinking like, oh, whatever. Like, maybe it didn't work out this year, but it's been good in the past. And then I think there's some the sky is falling stuff out there that's not correct but i think i would be concerned if i'm a uva fan i'm looking and i and i hear what you're saying like you lost a lot of production and had to replace it but you know guys like roadie right now he looks like he is in way over his head and so you lose stuff and and that's what you're replacing it with and and i think the flip side of that and this game provides a perfect opportunity to look at this Seven of the nine players who played for NC State were not on the team last year. And the two that played that were on the team were DJ Burns and Casey Morsell. Casey Morsell had a terrible shooting night, five points. DJ Burns, like I said, statistically not a huge impact, but obviously had a big impact on the game. So that's production that was back. But you lost people like Terquavion Smith and Jarkel Joyner. Like State also lost a ton of production, but Kevin Keats went out and found depth of talent. So not only like some top end stuff with guys like DJ Horn who are able to really impact the game. Jaden Taylor from Butler who can who has 15 points in this game. A four-star freshman in Dennis Parker. But depth, right? I mean like Michael O'Connell came into this game <clears throat> as a backup point guard and ran things. And so I think as a UV for a lot of UVA fans, I can understand the concern. And like I said, Tony Bennett, fantastic coach. I can understand the concern of like looking around the country and seeing not just state, but a lot of other programs that are able to find plug and play dudes, dudes that you can say, look, I got to replace production. Here's a guy who's out there that I can slide in and make this work. And I get that there's something about Tony Bennett's program and system and the way he does things that he doesn't really seem to want a lot of those plug and play guys. But at a certain point, are you just being stubborn at the detriment of your program and, and i get like he has found guys in the past like trey murphy sam hauser i think were the guys that you mentioned to me as examples of that so i guess that that would be my concern is it's like okay you seem semi-willing to do it but why is it that in a year like this where somebody like reese comes back and you're like okay we got to take advantage of that you have to capitalize on something like that ryan dunn has a pretty positive trajectory towards being an NBA lottery pick potentially after this year so you got maybe a year with him if you're lucky you get one more to me you got to find the talent to put around that and, and roadie and minor that that just that ain't gonna do it groves is not gonna do it so so I guess is that a concern for you where do you fall on that here's where I fall on this I think it is you always criticize UVA fans of being defensive of Tony Bennett. So I'm going to try not to be defensive of Tony Bennett. I think it is clear the people that he brought in for this season, it is not enough. It's some of that is luck. Some of that you don't know. Like if Rhodey had came in and shot 50% from three, everyone would be like, this is the greatest find of all time. Some people, sometimes you just miss. Sometimes players take more time in a system. I am not of the opinion that Tony is being stubborn and unwilling to bring people in. Like I, like you said, Trey Murphy, Sam Hauser, Anthony Gill, he's had a lot of really successful people that have come via the transfer portal, and I think he's all about that. I, I think you could just say that the evaluation's missed, and I would also say 
my biggest contention that the biggest transfer he brought in was Dante Harris in terms of being able to play individual defense and go get buckets. He was the freshman Big East player the uh, year in the tournament and most outstanding player, and he hasn't been able to play for a significant part of the season. That being said, yes, it is clear that there is not enough on this specific roster. Where I'm at with it is, I think what's frustrating to UVA fans is we've been so consistently good year in and year out. Even the years that we're not winning national championships were an easy, you know, just go ahead and pencil us in for one of the top three spots in the ACC. With this like upheaval of transfers, NIL stuff, I think it's going to be harder for anybody that isn't like Kansas and Duke to do that. And it's going to require a lot of teams to try to figure some stuff out. And it might be like every third year you're good rather than every single year. Like UCLA is the program that I'm thinking about right now. They brought in all of these players who were highly recruited international players. Mick Cronin, I think, inarguably one of the best coaches in the country and they're terrible right now. Like they're really, really bad. And they were a two seed last year. So it's like, is there a problem with Mick Cronin or did the players he brought in just didn't quite work out the way that he thought at this point? Say the same thing about Arkansas and Eric Musselman. Like we talked about them in our season preview of, I had them as a potential final four team with the level of four star, five star transfers that they brought in. They've been awful. So is it a problem with Eric Musselman? I don't think so. I think this just right now with the roster he has, they're not the best team that he could have. And like, I wouldn't be surprising if later in the year they're great. Wouldn't be surprising if next year they're like a top five team based on how he recruits players. So I do think the one I've seen a lot of people say, like, is Tony Bennett done? Can he survive in this kind of environment? And I just think that's ridiculous. Like, I think it's a ridiculous thing. UVA was a four seed last year. So I I think the idea of the downfall of UVA is dumb. But yeah, this roster is not it. It's not. Like they don't have enough shooting on the roster. And it's okay to be frustrated about this year. We'll see what next year brings. Yeah, it honestly reminds me a lot of if you go back like 15 years, I guess it was probably like 2008, somewhere in that range, when people were talking about Coach K and having to adjust to one and done. And so like the pre Kyrie Irving. So yeah, that would have been like 2008, somewhere in that range. It feels really similar to that to me of you have Tony Bennett, who is and and I know like, again, I I said this earlier, but I know that I have said maybe he's not as great as some people think he is, but I he is definitely he like seemingly probably a college basketball Hall of Famer. Like he, he is one of the best coaches in the game right now. So to to I agree with you completely. For to say like oh he's done is a just insane take, and you shouldn't be allowed to have opinions if that's what you think. <laughs> that's not a straw man <laughs> argument either. Like there's there are people like on Twitter who I see opinions on flow through our chat during the game who are like, "Yep, oh, it's Williford's time now." It's like, come on, no, 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 no. Yeah. Calm but, down, but. I, but while I will agree with you that it's absurd to say that, to suggest that Tony Bennett is done, I don't think it's ridiculous to suggest that he's got to adapt. And, and I think I understand, like, yes, he has brought in some impactful transfers, but the examples that you're listing all have been gone for at least three years. So these last few seasons where the transfer portal is like really kicking up, 
he seems to be just outsider's perspective. He seems to be struggling to keep up with that a little bit. And I, I, the, I don't agree that he, I mean, keep up. I would just say he has missed on the evaluation of the last couple of years. Like Ben well, Vanderplas was not the plug and play player that people thought he would be minor. Sure. not the plug and play play, player right now. So is Rody. So, but but I mean, here's it, what I mean is is there's there's programs out there that are reaching into the transfer portal and, and and yes I will use NCCA as an example just because it's what I'm most familiar with but this exists all over where they're going out to get guys who have had success at Power Five programs so DJ Horn great example this was one of the best point guards in the Pac-12 last year and he entered the transfer portal NC State said hey we just lost a, a, an NBA caliber guard in Terquavion Smith. We need to go get somebody like that. And they went and got him versus UVA pulling guys from Merrimack and St. Thomas. That to me is the difference is understanding. And again, like Hauser is a great example of somebody where he's okay. This is someone who was successful in big time college basketball. Dante Harris is a great example. Uh, and, And injuries have just, you know, if he's healthy, like maybe we're having a totally different conversation. So don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that he is. I use the phrase can't keep up and, and that probably wasn't correct, but it's clear that he's looking for his solutions in different places than a lot of other programs are. And that's what I mean when I say transfer portal has ramped up. It's no longer just guys um, like Jaden Gardner, who is transferring from you know a few years back, transferring out of ECU, looking to move up. There are still those guys available, right? I think uh, Jaden Taylor for NC State is a good example, came from Butler. But there's plenty of dudes out there who are leaving Power 5 programs looking for other opportunities. I guess if I were a UVA fan, I would like to see Tony Bennett try to dip into that pool a little bit more. Some guys that you know can play at this level so you don't end up with a roadie and minor situation. I just feel like you're less likely to miss. And, and some of those guys are harder to get, right? And, and some of it comes into NIL stuff that... Maybe UVA needs to work on being better equipped for that, right? I, I don't know the details of where they are on that, but there, there's a lot of factors here. I think that it's interesting. I, I was thinking about this, and this was in regard to the Dennis Parker stuff. You know, a few years back, I know there was a lot of excitement when Jabri Abdur Rahim committed, and it's like this felt like a recruit that was unlike what Tony Bennett had been getting at UVA, and that obviously didn't work out. Right. But so I just wonder kind of like, is there an adaptation needed in terms of the kind of talent that Tony Bennett is looking to get? I'm not saying a complete overhaul, but just a, a slight adjustment in, in the talent pool they're looking at. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I would say to that is it's not that Tony is not looking for those people. It's just that he didn't get them this time around. <laughs> I mean, sure. that's the thing. Like, you know, like it, I'm sure Tony would have loved to have gotten uh, a number of people. It's, I don't think. It, you know, the number of people that get contacted is kind of tough to track, but I I'm certain that Tony contacted a lot of power five players. He just didn't get them. And so to the extent that that's an, an issue, you could say, you know, again, some of those other things like NIL or uh, which I think is, you know, obviously not at the level of like Duke and Kansas and some of those programs, but has been increasingly being a bigger part of what Virginia athletics does. But I, I just think they didn't, they didn't hit on those first people. And so it was, okay, we had Dante Harris. That was the first piece. Didn't fill in the immediate needs that we wanted to. Had to fill in uh, Caden Shedrick and Isaac Trout. So that those were the best fits of the players that were available. That, that's my read of the situation. 
honestly, I just think it's going to be like, yes, there are systemic things that you can do, but I think it's a year by year thing. Like sometimes you just hit on transfers and sometimes you don't. And sometimes there are weird reasons for why you hit on them. And, you know, the coach knows a certain person or they were recruited out of high school and situation doesn't work out. And that's just, again, like I, my, my biggest thing is it's just going to be very tough for Virginia and a lot of programs, but Virginia, since that's the one we care about to be as consistently good. That's the thing that Tony's done so well. And I still think that he does a great job of coaching with the talent that he has and getting the most out of it. But it is, I think it's going to be tough year in and year out. And sometimes UVA is going to be better and sometimes they're not. And just got to have to ride that wave until we figure this kind of stuff out. And I think to your point, right? I mean, it's hard to be confident in transfers sometimes. And I know I presented it as like, well, if you just if you just recruit for power five schools, then you're certain it's going to work out. And I, like I've been spoiled. I, I think, you know, state is good at recruiting transfers. And for whatever reason, right, it just it works. Well, like you said, I, I don't know how to identify what that reason is. But there there's plenty of test cases. I mean, I think look at Carolina. They brought in Justin McCoy from UVA, right? Another power five you know, transfer and that didn't really work out there. I mean, he's, he's doing pretty well for himself at Hawaii now, but you know, it's not always a for sure. Like this is definitely going to work out thing. I mean, I, I don't know how, like you did have Armand Franklin and you know, that was fine. <laughs> right. Like yeah. a mix of like really good at times and disappointing other times. Yep. Yeah. So I, so I don't mean to present it as like, hey, this is a clear solution. Some of it is devil's advocate. And I, I'm trying to think through as a UVA fan, I can understand the frustration. And like you said, this year, mm-hmm. sure, mm-hmm. we can just lay it out as just, just just this year at looking at this and saying, OK, in our most recent game, we got fairly dominated by a team that has built from transfers mixed in with some decent high-level recruiting at times. I mean, this current roster is literally all transfers and one freshman. But looking at that, I can understand the frustration. And then you see, you know, Rhodey struggling. And and I can I can understand. Like, look, I, I read all the articles. that I read Chris's stuff. And we talked about it. And I can understand why you could look at Rhodey before this season and think, hey, this could work. But then I can also understand why it hasn't worked. Sometimes it goes back to what Jerome Tank said last year. You got to have dudes. There, there's a there's a lack of dudes on this roster <laughs> and you know it's, it's the dudes you have right the the kind of big three Beekman, Dunn, and McNeely all have shortcomings Beekman is pretty good at creating offense for other people he's got a decent little you know short and mid-range game he's obviously one of the better defenders in the country McNeely needs shots created for him and Dunn doesn't have much offensive range and, and is inconsistent finishing around the rim too but all of them kind of need their need. It just feels like if there was one more guy, maybe it's Dante Harris. I don't know. Maybe he's going to come back from injury and be like the greatest thing that UVA basketball has ever seen. But it feels like if there was one more, just then UVA would be in it. And it, everybody would feel so much differently about this team. Yeah, 100%. I think, and, and to be fair, like seeing three double digit road losses is not something that UVA fans are accustomed to seeing. It's just, something that Tony has been really, really good at in the last decade is getting road wins. He's got one of the best road records of any Power 5 coach. So, yeah, I get why it's frustrating. I'm frustrated, too. And they definitely are missing a piece. And, look, I I also don't want to, like, completely just abort the season. Like, they, 
have a chance if they can clean some things up to make the tournament. I think that's kind of their line right now. I think if the tournament were to start today, they would be on the outside looking in. But some opportunities against some big teams still in the ACC to get wins. And they have played well enough in games like the Syracuse game. I know Louisville is not a particularly inspiring opponent, but like they played really, really well in that game. They have a win over Texas A&M, which is a good team. So, I mean, they have the opportunity to make the tournament, which I think would be a really important thing for this program and for their team. And hopefully they can turn it around. But you can have people that make shots. And right now, the only person that you worry about shooting the ball is McNeely. And, you know, Groves maybe hits a pick and pop at some point or Rody knocks one down. But they just really don't have any outside shooting at the moment. And so that makes it really, really tough. NC State did a really good job of just like, pressuring the ball, jamming up the lane, and then running McNeely off the line. And so that's, I mean, that's the formula. So you got to have somebody else step up. So opportunity for somebody if they want to, you know, stay after practice, hit a few threes and figure that out. Yeah, I mean, really, like thinking just about that game on Saturday, that that's statistically, you go through the box score, you go through the team stats and everything. And a lot of stuff is very similar, honestly. Like it, it looks closer. Like if you just saw the team stat breakdown, you would think like, oh, this game was actually a lot closer than it was, but it comes, I mean, three-point shooting, right? I mean, State took more, made more, and I think that's that's a big thing. Now, now the positive, right? The the reason for optimism is after that game, UVA has a full week to prep for, for this next important stretch in the schedule, right? So no games for a full week gives time for a very competent coaching staff to... Uh, make improvements, make adjustments, right? Maybe you see some differences in the rotation coming. Uh, who knows, right? A full week is is a lot of time to work on a on a stretch where you've got, you know, a very good Wake Forest team, and you're going to Winston Salem. And we talked at the live show um, about that being a difficult place to play. You know, you've got that Virginia Tech, Georgia Tech, and then the rematch against NC State, followed by some what should be winnable games with Louisville and Notre Dame. So all of those games are are winnable. I mean, there's some challenges in there for sure. But that's that's a pretty seems to be a pretty critical stretch um, as we get into ACC play here. Totally agree. It's going to be a big couple games coming up right here in the middle of the schedule. Yeah, well, if you want to share your opinions on UVA basketball, not unhinged opinions like Tony Bennett can't do it or doesn't value NIL or just like. I don't know. Just some of the most deranged things. Like everybody has an opinion. It's ridiculous. I know only we should be allowed to have opinions. (laughs) Yeah. Well, no. I mean, I think the people should be allowed to have opinions, and they can share those by emailing preferredwalkons at yahoo.com or finding us on social media at pwopod. But just like temper what you send. If you send something just crazy, like we're probably going to make fun of it on the air. So send something like send, send the crazy stuff that's fun to talk about. 